welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is The Only Thing That Really Matters. Mark 16, 9-20. But first I have a story. I have a snake story to tell you. And you'll see why in a minute. Several years ago, I got a frantic call from someone in this church who lives on the river. I'm not going to use her real name because this is a podcast, but we'll call her Susan. Susan, okay. And uh, she calls me up and says, there's a huge rattlesnake on my deck. Can you come and kill it? I'm afraid to go outside. I, you know, she was afraid to go out on her deck, beautiful deck there. And there's also, they were doing construction. There's all kinds of boards and everything. And then they were doing construction. She, the, the workers wouldn't go out and work on it. Couldn't get anything done. Couldn't enjoy the deck. So could you please and come and, uh, you know, uh, kill it? And I said, are you sure it's a rattlesnake? She goes, I'm pretty sure. I looked it up and it won't leave. It's been there for long time days just sitting out there in the sun on my deck and it's huge and fat and and uh, I know you grew up on a farm so you know how, how to kill snakes and which is true but uh but not rattlesnakes there's no rattlesnakes where I grew up so uh she thought to swam over the river from Lambertville you know those New Jersey dangerous New Jersey right so we won't go there but um I said okay I'll, I'll be right over I was not too busy I'll be right over so I looked for something to kill this rattlesnake and I was trying what did I kill this rattlesnake with you know and I saw one of my old one of my machetes that I got on one of my mission trips you know it was hanging on the wall I said took the machete out of the you know case okay and I head out the door and I said Kim I'll be back in a few minutes I hope and I go out and uh, I head out and I get to the house and sure enough there's this big fat scary snake sitting laying on her deck and it was really fat and uh, I, she says, okay, go get it. She opens the door. I'm like, okay. And she, if you know Susan, you know what she's like. And she, was, you know, she wasn't afraid to push me out the door. And uh, uh, those of you who I'm talking about know what I'm talking about. So, um, so she says, go on out. And she shuts the door behind me and holds the hand on. And she's like waving me, you know. You know and and uh, no escape. So I see the snake is sunning itself and sleeping, and I creep up on it real quiet with my machete, really quiet, and it takes off and disappears into all this wood and construction stuff, and it disappeared. I, I, I didn't know where it was. I couldn't find it anywhere. And I can't see it, and I look back at Susan, who's like giving me the, come on, get going, you know, chop motion through the window, the safe window, right? And uh, uh, so I'm looking for it, and I finally just... Between a couple of the boards, I could see it. It's, it's midsection, really big, fat midsection there. Right between the two boards. That's all I could see. I couldn't see its head or tail or anything. Just this midsection. And I sneak up with my machete really carefully. And I chop. And I got it, but I didn't get it. I wanted to chop it in half and kill it, but I didn't. I just cut it like halfway through, partway through. And it went freaked out. And you know what snakes do. Freaked out and it took off and it made all this noise and I'm freaking out, backing up, I got blood all you know, like, and I'm like, oh man, now I got a big problem, I got a live rattlesnake hiding somewhere and I couldn't, could not f- see it, I couldn't see it, I'm like stepping back, looking for it, expecting it to jump out any moment and, and I couldn't find it and, and uh, I look back and, and there's Susan still giving me the Go get it, you know, finish it, you know. And, uh, you know, if you know Susan, you know what she's like. And she's pushing me on this. And so uh, finally, um, 
finally, I can't find it. The only place I'm just, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to be killed out here. If I get bit by this rattlesnake, Kim's going to be really mad at me, right? Really mad at me. You know, go drive yourself to the hospital. I'm not even going to call the ambulance, you know. And I could just, this, you know how she gets. So anyway, uh, and so I can, there's only one place this snake could be. There's like a, one of the pillars was laying on its side and it had a whole, you know, the of hollow inside about this much where the snake could have squeezed in. It's only because I looked everywhere and there's a trail of blood leading to this pillar. And so I'm like, it's got to be in there. But it, I'm not going to go look in there for it. So I took a hose in the one end because it's open on one end and two end. I took a hose and I put it in there and I turned it on and I blasted the hose. And I just let the water start shooting in there, figuring if it's still alive, it's going to, you know, scare it out. Well, snake never came out, but instead, all these little baby snakes start washing out. It was like a horror movie. A lot of them were still wiggling. Uh, it was like, oh, you know, it was like gross. And, and they, they all start coming out, and, and there was tons of baby snakes. And it turned out that this big fat snake was pregnant. And that's why it was nesting on the porch. And, uh, and I had cut it open, and it had crawled into this hole to die, but I had actually performed a C-section, and, and they didn't survive long, thankfully, because I was on the porch with hundreds of snakes at this point, and, and I'm still not sure what, what the snake was. Susan is still convinced it was a rattlesnake. I'm not sure what, exactly what it was, but I thought it was a rattlesnake, and I was scared. It, uh, this, and it was not just rat, it was poisonous that I thought. It was big and fat and scary. But if only I had remembered this Bible passage. If I had remembered this Bible passage, I would not have been afraid at all. There would have been no worries. I would have just gone and picked it up and thrown it into the river. <laughs> Do I have your attention about this passage now? Wait till we read it. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for bringing us through the book of Mark to the conclusion now. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and work on our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Mark 16, 9 to 20. We get to the end of the book. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, one of whom he had driven out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were still walking in the country. These returned and reported to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick people and they will get well. After the Lord had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Now, last week we talked about how this passage was not really in the book of Mark. 
<laughs> if you missed that, you're in for the shock this week. But the earliest manuscripts, the best manuscripts, don't have these, these verses 9 through 20. Okay, They're not in the book of Mark. These are pr not part of the, the, the New Testament. They're not inspired. Okay, hate to upset or shock anybody. But the book of Mark really ended with verse 8, which was the resurrection. We talked about that last week. That it came to a screeching halt. Resurrection, boom. Because the Holy Spirit, writing through the Apostle Mark, was writing to the Romans. And that he knew that's what they needed. Just the facts. All right, the Romans, if you weren't here last week, get the CD and listen to that. Because you'll, i talk about that more in detail. But someone came along uh, later on and they filled in the post-resurrection story, which I just read to you. They filled it in. Most of this can be found in other Gospels, almost all of it, which we'll talk about in just a minute. So I want to go to the other parallel passages in the other Gospels and, and look at what, was, what we know the Holy Spirit actually said through Matthew, Luke, and John. And I want to look, look at the parallels and, and look at the other Gospels and go at, get at it through the other Gospels, okay? Now, Verses 9 to 14 we talked about last week. The post-resurrection appearances. We already covered that last week. Read John 20 through 21. Really goes into detail when Jesus appeared to the, the apostles and set them straight and all that. Uh, but I want to go right now to verses 17 and 18, which are the faith signs that I read. And these signs will accompany those who believe... In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. This little part of the edition, the postscript that somebody wrote to just kind of like fill in the, the blanks, but wasn't Mark writing through the Holy Spirit, obviously, but probably came from the book of Acts. In fact, verse 20 in verse 20, then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. That verse really describes the book of Acts. Sometimes it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but we all know it really should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working through the Apostles, okay? That really describes it all. Now, some say that these signs were to confirm the message of Jesus that the apostles were preaching. So these signs that we're talking about now were given for the apostles. They are apostolic signs, and that was for that time, and that was it. Other people believe that they're still for today. That's for another day and a whole other sermon, another discussion. But I'm just going to look at what... The, the, they probably got most of this out of the book of Acts. Driving out demons. Many places in the book of Acts we see driving out demons. Acts 16, 18, one of the classic ones when Paul drives out the fortune teller's demon... He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. So we see uh, demons being cast out throughout the book of Acts. Speaking in new tongues. Where do we get that in Acts? What chapter? Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 1, when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And they began to speak in other languages. And, and as they went out and started preaching in Jerusalem to people from all different countries that could now understand the gospel through the apostles speaking in tongues. Healing. Back to Mark, back to Mark 16. 
we see healing is also there. And in healing, I'll just read you one passage. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Walk. Verse 7, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So we see healing, healing going on. Uh, boy, I almost want to preach through Acts now. Isn't that wild stuff, right? Exciting. Uh, now notice I skipped something in Mark, in Mark 16 there. I skipped the picking up the snakes and drinking the poison. <laughs> Back to Mark 16, verse 18. I'll read that one. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. Uh, there we go. Now, where do we find this in the book of Acts or somewhere else in the Bible? We don't. <laughs> we don't find that. Now, Paul does get bit by a snake in Acts 28, but he didn't pick it up. In fact, Acts 28, just read it to you real quick. Acts 28, the story of Paul getting bit by a snake. He just gets off the shipwreck, and they land on the island of Malta. They're shipwrecked there. Once safely on shore, they swim out of the water. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. He likes to make fires. That's, he's a good guy. All right? uh, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to them, they changed their mind and said he was a god. <laughs> so, we, there's the snake story, but Paul didn't pick it up. So this snake verse and drinking poison isn't even anywhere in the New Testament. And even if it was, there's no way you could apply it today, right? It still wouldn't be something we would, we would apply. But that's exactly what some people do today. They take this passage, this verse, which really is not in the canon, in the, in the Bible, and they apply it. In fact, I'll just read you a couple, one article I pulled out on this that I saved from a while. Snake, I don't know if you ever watched this on TV or any of the specials, snake handlers risk death to demonstrate their faith. You ever follow this? Outside of, in Kentucky, outside a simple white frame church, Pastor Carter felt the Lord's movement on him. He strode purposely toward the, a pair of lock boxes, opened them, and produced two timber rattlesnakes. Grasped them firmly by their midsections, the tall, rail-thin preacher picked up the deadly yellow and black reptiles. Lifting them above his head, he swung them effortlessly back and forth. 
Help him, Lord. In the name of Jesus, one of the church deacons prayed, uh, murmured hypnotically, while a half dozen congregants stood transfixed. Moments later, the rattlers were back in their boxes, and Carter, 62, who says he has survived 13 snake bites in 38 years of handling rattlers, copperheads, and cottonmouths in churches from Alabama to Michigan, once again had risked his life to demonstrate the power of his faith. Old-time Appalachian churches like this Rella Pentecostal Church of God once drew standing room only crowds, but now they summon only a handful of the faithful to services filled with ecstatic demonstrations of belief. You'll see why there are not a lot of people left. But anyway, in just a minute. Some of the most controversial practices, such as drinking poison, apparently have been abandoned, but many say here they had seen it done in the past. But members still demonstrate literal obedience to biblical commands and their faith by handling the snakes. Proselytes of a rigorously fundamentalist and charismatic faith, they court danger and defy the law by handling poisonous snakes, a practice that stems from injunctions in the King James Version of the Gospel of Mark to take up serpents. The custom, paired with a belief in faith healing that often keeps victims of snake bites from seeking medical attention so they're commanded to take up the snakes they think and then they don't go to a doctor because of their faith with the healing right sometimes proves fatal a fact that does not deter its remaining adherence <laughs> when you open the lid on the snake box there's death in that box i've lost a lot of good brothers said carter who has known as many as eight serpent handlers who have died of snake venom including lee valentine the founder of the rella church carter said he even himself was twice laid out for dead. They're going to put him in the coffin because they thought he had died of his snake bite, but God brought him back again. The law doesn't trouble Carter uh, or others like him. He said on one occasion a sheriff in London, Kentucky, who had vowed to arrest him, was getting up that morning to come to church service to arrest him, but he felt, was felled by a heart attack. There you go. Serpent handling in Appalachia is said to have started in the early 20th century with the exploits of the East Tennessee preacher George West Hensley. He died of snake bites in 1955. Now, this is what they say. Snake, death by snake bite could, means that someone has messed up. That's what they believe. If you die of the snake bite, you messed up. It could be sin, but it doesn't have to be sin. It could be that simply that at the given time, the Lord didn't move that person to pick up the snakes. You have to wait for the Holy Spirit's movement leading to pick up the serpent. And they, they read God's leading wrong that day, and that's why they're dead. He, and he said, it's just like if you run a stop sign. It doesn't mean that you're a terrible person. It just means that you made a mistake. Hmm. I don't know if you've ever watched this on TV, but there's specials. I've actually watched the, the, the documentaries. Scary and fascinating. Uh, if only I had had enough faith, I could have just picked up that snake at Susan's house and thrown it into the river, right? If only I had enough faith. Isn't that crazy, though? Like I said, this isn't in the Bible anywhere, picking up the snakes. Uh, but there's two key parts of the passage that do remain and are very important that we do find in other parts of the Bible, and they're very important to focus on. The first one is in verses 15 and 16. Tell me if you guess where I'm going with this one. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Where do we get that one from? 
Yes, the Great Commission, the Great Commission. That's where they got that one from. We do know that one's in the Bible. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus, this is the Great Commission, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission. It's vital to know the Great Commission. The snake thing you can forget. But this is vital. It's vital to know the Great Commission. Sadly, they've done studies and only 14% of born-again Christians know what the Great Commission is. Did you know that? Only 14% know the Great Commission. Now, I know many of you are brand new Christians. You're off the hook. And a lot of you have only been Christians for a short time. You're off the hook, all right? That's why I'm going to stress this, because this will be on the test. <laughs> this, is, this is what God's going to test us on. This is something we have to memorize and live. The Great Commission, what Jesus left with us. Everything we do as a church, everything we do as Christians should have this in view. This is the main goal of our life. This is what God, Jesus left us with before he ascended, which we'll see in a few minutes. He, before, he, he, before he left, this is the main goal of life. Our, with, with our jobs, understand something. If you have a job, you're, with your job, our job is not to make money and to live comfortably, but to fulfill the Great Commission. You understand that? We don't get jobs to earn money and live comfortably and get what we want. We work our job so that we can help somehow fulfill the Great Commission. With school, if you're in school or college, your goal, our goal in college school shouldn't be to get good grades and get the best job and go do what I want to do with my life. It should be to figure out where does God want me and how does he want to use me to fulfill the Great Commission. Wherever that is, whether it's working in New York City or, or in the mission field, whatever. It, where does God going to use me? That, that's our whole thing. How can I fulfill the Great Commission? The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, he says, go, go. Acts 1, 8 gives us more detail on what Jesus meant by going. And Acts 1, uh, I'm sorry, Acts 1, 6 to 8 tells us what it means to go. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So what are they asking him? When are you coming back again, right? He says, you're not going to know. But this is what he stresses to them. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's where we're called to go. The Great Commission to us, we're told where to go. We're to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is right where they live. It's right where they were. Our hometown, our home area. We're called to reach our home area with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Also, also not just Jerusalem, but Judea. Judea, Jerusalem was in Judea, so that's the wider area. That could be our state or our country, okay? That's what we're all supposed to, also supposed to try to reach. Not just our hometown, but out further outside. The, the, the area that we live in, the state, the, the country that we live in. 
But he also says Samaria. Significant that he stresses Samaria to them. Because Samaria was, was northern Israel and it had once been part of Israel proper, but it got all mixed up with all the pagans and the pagan worship and, and the, the, the Jewish leaders said, stay away from those bad Samaritans, those evil people. And, and so the Jews would not really want to go there. And yet Jesus was stressing to them the Great Commission was to be sent to the Samaritans too. That was a radical teaching to them. They weren't even supposed to look at them or greet them or eat with them. And he's saying you're going to take the gospel of Jesus to them? And that, he, that's, once again, what, what is our Samaria? What is our yuck? <laughs> them? There? You want me to go there and tell them about Jesus? Or it's, it's that place that's different. That place that's scary. Those people that we don't really want to associate with, we're called to give the gospel to. And then he says, also the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. And that's what we're seeing. Our youth group's getting ready to go to the Dominican Republic. And a lot of adults are going with them. And we are sending several people off to the Philippines soon. And that's the ends of the earth that we're called to. Now back to the Great Commission. He says, go, Matthew 28, 18-20, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Notice he didn't say make believers. Mm-mm. He said, make disciples. There's a big difference between a believer and a disciple of Jesus Christ. In the United States, we focus on making believers. Just get them to pray a prayer and, and raise their hand or go to see, hear Billy Graham or, you know, just, just, to, just to say their question. We're a cross, right? That's, that's, that's all. USA Today. That's why we're such a mess. We've got a lot of believers. We've got churches full of believers, but not disciples of Jesus Christ. Believing, putting our faith in Jesus, if it's real, will result in us becoming a disciple. There's no such thing as a just a believer. You're either a disciple of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, or you're nothing. And discipleship is much, much deeper. And he tells us how to make disciples. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit... Baptism is very, very important. I'm not talking about the sprinkling when you're a baby. That's different. That's a dedication. But being baptized as a believer, once they're a believer, a disciple, being baptized, very, very important. It's a, it, then, when, you were, when they were baptized in Jesus' day, many of them were entered immediately into persecution. It was a public witness, a public stand, that they were really going to follow Jesus. And it's still very important today. Baptism is very important. We may not face persecution just yet, but it's not too far off. We can see that happening. But it is a very important public witness that I have died under the water with Jesus. I've come back out alive, a new person in Christ. We've talked about this many, many times. Powerful, important event in everybody's life. But then after the baptism, he's baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Very important part of discipleship is teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is a huge need in the United States today. The reason the church in America is such a mess is we get people to pray the prayer and take the free trip to heaven, but we don't teach them to obey everything Jesus said. And that is what a disciple is. Because in our country today, we have buffet Christianity. 
Take one buffets. I love going buffets. You know what I like a buffet? I can take what I like and don't take what I don't like. I can leave the vegetables. No, okay. you don't hear me say that. But anyway, I can, I can take what I like and I can leave what I don't like. That's okay if you're going to a buffet. But if you claim to be a Christian, we don't have the option of taking what we like and, and leaving what we don't like. But that's exactly what has happened in, in America, the USA today. We, it's, we, we just, whatever Christians in America don't like, we just don't accept. I hear it all the time. They're believing something or doing something or living out something. I say, that, the Bible says you can't do that. Oh, that's cultural. Whenever somebody doesn't like something, it's cultural. Ooh, I've heard it all. Heard it all. Seen it all. Because it's cultural. Listen, it's not cultural. If it's in God's word, it's God's word. And, and, and we can't just pick and choose what we want to believe. You know why we say it's cultural? Why we don't like it? Because it goes against what we, we think. goes against what we want. goes against our flesh. Very important, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ and become a disciple of Jesus Christ, we have to obey all of his teachings. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Very, very important. And it's interesting, back to the Great Commission, it's interesting that the Great Commission is linked to something else in Mark and in Acts. In Mark 16, 19 to 20, let's look what it's linked to. After the Lord had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. At the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by signs that accompanied it. So we see the Great Commission connected to the ascension. Back, going over to Acts again, in Acts 1, 8 to 10 this time. But you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. And when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The ascension. Jesus has gone back into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of God and he's coming back again. The second coming. We know that, all right? He's coming back again. But the ascension... The ascension is also here in Mark, and it's also in Acts, and it's also connected to the Great Commission. But the ascension is vital, very, very important. First of all, it's important because he's coming back. We're looking forward to the second coming, right? It's the only thing that keeps us going many, many days, knowing just as Jesus came miraculously for his first birth, he's coming back again to, uh, for his, his church. He's coming again. Read the book of Revelation, many, many other places. But the ascension is vital. And here's a couple reasons why it's very, very important. In John 14, 25, uh, John, I'm sorry, we'll start with 16. John 16, 7, Jesus said, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The counselor, talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, it's for your good I'm going away. If I, if I go, you're going to have the Holy Spirit. And this is why it's important. When Jesus was here on earth, he... In, in his uh, human God form, he was in one place. He could be with 
the apostles here. He could be with somebody else here. He could just be in one place at one time. But he's taught in the word that when he went up into heaven, he would send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, could be everywhere at the same time. Everywhere. Okay? Very, very important. John 14, 25 says this. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He, he promised that when he ascended, he would send the Holy Spirit. He would fill us with the Holy Spirit at the moment you put your faith in Jesus. The moment you give your life, the moment you say, God, I I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me for everything wrong I've ever done in my life. Please forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to Jesus. The moment you do that, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. At that moment, we receive the Holy Spirit. God's word comes alive. Our life changes. We think differently. We, we live differently. The Holy Spirit's power. And as we read God's word, the Holy Spirit just brings it alive and changes us more and more. We're transformed by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Uh, and, and also, when the Holy Spirit comes, we have a new peace. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. In the world you have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We're going to have trouble in this world. You think you've got problems? Well, there it is. Jesus said we're going to have problems. Think you have trouble? <laughs> Think our country's having trouble? Well, why are we surprised? Jesus said we're going to have trouble. But he also promised us peace in the midst of that. Promised us peace in the midst of that. Because we have the Holy Spirit now. That's why we're able to have peace no matter what we're facing in our life. We have the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus is still right here. The Spirit of Jesus Christ is, Jesus is right here. He's right in our hearts the moment you put your faith in him. Now, that's vital for the Holy Spirit coming, but also in Hebrews 4, 14, we've done this many, many times. Hebrews 4 says something also very important. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus, when he ascended, made a way for us right to God the Father, right to the throne of his Father God, who's become our Father now. He has made a way, that just as the high priest would help the people approach God, remember the Holy of Holies, we talked about all that many times, Jesus made a way for us to come right into God's presence. He is now our high priest. We can now come to God's throne, not in fear, but it, it's now the throne of mercy, to find grace and mercy to find help with whatever, forgiveness and help with whatever we're dealing with, whatever temptation we're struggling with, whatever crisis we're going through. We can now, because Jesus ascended, we have access to God the Father. And not not only that, he's also sitting right next to God the Father. Not only has he made a way, he's high priest, but he's sitting right next to God the Father. In fact, in Romans 8.34 it says, Who is he that condemns? And the answer is no one, because why? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, 
is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus is sitting right next to God the Father, and he's interceding for us all the time, constantly interceding for us. Hey, they need help with this. Hey, don't forget. Don't forget what they're going through. They're going to crash. Yes, I know they're a dodo, but they're my dodo. Remember Fred Flintstone? (laughs) They're dodos, but they're my dodos. And that's what Jesus is doing for us all the time. That's what Jesus has done for us through the ascension. That's what he's done for us. Have you acted on what Jesus has done? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you have God's peace no matter what you're facing because you have made peace with God? Mark 16, 16, where he says, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Comes right from John 3.36. Whoever, John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. But we don't have to face God's wrath because John 3.16, backing up a few verses, John 3.16 tells us how to believe. For God so loved the world. Another one to memorize. Matthew 28.18-20, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? The word believe isn't an intellectual ascent. It means the heart belief. It means that completely, the word in, in the Greek is to completely trust in and to cling to and put your complete trust. Jesus died on the cross in our place. He took our punishment so that we could have a relationship with God again. He made a way Through that wall of sin, that wall of judgment, he made a way that if we will put our faith in Jesus, we can be forgiven no matter what we've done in our life. We can be forgiven, washed clean, made brand new, and given a brand new life in Jesus Christ. He can take anyone and anything that we've done, and he can bring something good out of it, something beautiful out of it. He'll give us a brand new life for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you put your faith in Jesus? You can do it today. You can do it right now. You can become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the first step is putting our faith in him. And then the next steps are the baptism and the obeying, learning to obey his teaching through discipleship. And we have home fellowships to help people out with that and and discipleship one-to-one, all kinds of ways to help each other grow. As Christians, maybe we put our faith in Christ, but are we really disciples? Do we experience God's peace? Are we really fulfilling the Great Commission? Are we going? Are we going? Whether he's called us around the world or across the street, we're all called. Everybody's called to go. Maybe across the street, maybe around the world. We don't know. But it's like, God, where are you, where are you sending me? There's a mission conference coming up. Calvary Chapel, Shelfont has one coming up. I emailed the blast out. Go. It's awesome time to really focus on God, missions. Uh, we're all called. We're called to share Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, and Judea, right where we are, right, right where we're comfortable, but also Samaria. 
Our Samaria could be a new hope. There may be some people in new hope we're not comfortable sharing our, our faith with. It could be anywhere in the country. It could be anywhere outside of our comfort zone. It could be down in the inner city somewhere, in Philly, where we take our mission. We do the mission trips down in Philly all the time. It could be the Dominican Republic. We're not comfortable going there. It could be the Philippines. Oh, hey, isn't it kind of dangerous there? You know, it could be anywhere that God is calling us to go. And to the ends of the earth, to all nations. To all nations. That's why mission trips are so important. If you've never been on a short-term mission trip, I encourage you to really pray about it. Very, very important. A huge impact. When you go on a short-term mission trip, it has a huge impact on the people you go to, but even more on us. We're deeply impacted by these trips. Or it could be even with going to the ends of the earth, it could be our career. God may be calling us to go into missions. He may be calling us to step outside of this country and go somewhere around the world to, to share the gospel with people. Or maybe you already have a career and he may be recalling. He may call us, but he may recall us. Are we willing to say, God, send me. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whether it's a short-term trip, whether it's changing my whole career, wherever you're, you're calling me, I'll go. Or maybe he's calling us to adopt a missionary. There's a lot of places, places in this world that we can't go. That you would not be able to go and survive more than a day. So you wouldn't be able to do much there. But there are Christians there. Third world missionaries. Christians in these dangerous countries that need support. That, that with a little bit of help from us, they can reach those places. A great example is with the Philippines. We have a whole group of missionaries in the Philippines that are ministering in a very dangerous area. But they need support. They don't need the kind of support we would need to go over there. But for, for $50 a month for an individual or, or $70 a month for a couple, you can send a missionary by yourself. You don't need a church. You don't need anybody else. By yourself for $50, you can support a missionary. $50 a month, you can support them full time. And they are seeing incredible fruit. We've been hearing the stories every week. The fruit that they're seeing, the baptisms, the persecution, all the things going on that we're seeing. You can make that difference. You can be that one person. And I, sometimes people are like, oh, $50, that's a lot, or $70. I'm like, what do we spend on cable a month? What do we spend on our phone a month? I mean, think about it. If we can spend that on our cable or our phones... What's more important? Eternity? Fulfilling the Great Commission? Or being able to text somebody? <laughs> right? Brian, at the end of the service, is going to be in the back. He's got a whole list of these different missionaries. And if you want to see him at the back table, he'll be happy to connect you with one of them and tell you how you can support your very own missionary in a whole different area. Are we making disciples? Go and make disciples. Are we making disciples? Am I, are, are we disciples? Have we been baptized? Are we learning God's word and teaching? Are we obeying it? Are we living it? Are we making disciples? Are, are we reproducing? Are we sharing our faith with others and then following them up, really helping them to grow? Last week I shared about John and Mary Alta with Jeffrey. Three and a half years took them through the whole Bible. Three and a half years. That's crazy, isn't it? No, it's not. That's discipleship. Jesus spent three years with, the, with his dodos, I mean disciples. He spent three years with them, right? It takes time to really help someone to grow. Are we discipling people? The Great Commission. 
I, something in the bulletin. If everybody wants to pull it out, thank you, our resident artist Kim, for doing this. Kim and Andrew helping us out with this. But the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission. Please, I don't want to stand before God someday and say, why did only 14% of your church know what the Great Commission was? I'm praying that you will take this and put it somewhere that you'll see it every day and memorize it. And to read it and memorize it and to pray over it. The, the last words of Christ here and his commission. And to, to live it out. To make this the foundation of our lives. Every day. God, how will God use me to fulfill the great commission? And to plan my day, my week, my, everything I go do. God, how are you going to use me to fulfill the Great Commission when I go to work or when I go to the game or when I go to see my neighbors? or what? Because it's sharing the love of Jesus Christ, the power of Christ, the peace of Christ, and helping people find that peace, that joy, that purpose that we can only find through Jesus Christ, through God's call in our life. I pray that this would be, everywhere I go, I, on your refrigerators, I'm going to see these on all your refrigerators. Every time I go to your house, I'm going to say, wait, 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 where's the Great Commission? I'm gonna, yeah. But th- this, is, this, is, this is our whole focus. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us? How is he speaking to us this morning? Maybe here in... You're not a Christian yet. You've never become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now you may just be on that journey and that's okay. God leads us step by step. Maybe today would be the next step of understanding who Jesus is and and getting closer to him. That's awesome. Keep coming. Keep studying the word. Keep getting to know Jesus. That's awesome. But maybe today is your final step to faith. It's your time. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you about putting your faith in Jesus today. Becoming a disciple of Christ today. And you can do that right where you're sitting. Right where you are at this very moment. You can pray the prayer of faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus, we believe in you. We ask for forgiveness for our sin. We repent of that old life. We're putting our faith in what you have done on the cross in our place, how you died for us, how you rose again from the dead for us. We put our faith in you. 
and give our life to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you have eternal life. It starts right now, and it goes forever. You have the Holy Spirit living in you, and you're going to be in for the shock of your life. Your life will never be the same. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you came with a friend or family member. Maybe you know somebody here. Maybe you tell me on the way out or felt the card. Let somebody know so that we can be excited for you and encourage you and help you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Are we really disciples? Are we obeying everything Christ has taught? Or are there things in our life where we say, God, that's, I don't like that verse. <laughs> I don't agree with that one. And we explain it away somehow. But the Holy Spirit's convicting us of obeying God's entire word. What do we need to surrender to become a disciple of Jesus Christ? What do we need to repent of? What do we need to agree with God on? What do we need to dedicate in our life to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Father, we pray that you would show us where to go and who to go to. I pray that if we are hanging on for dear life to our own agenda, that your Holy Spirit would set us free to live the life you've called us to, the purpose you've called us to, the peace and joy you've called us to. I pray that you would Remind us every day what our real purpose is to fulfill the Great Commission. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.